welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Kelly Stecker is an OBGYN and co-founder and president of Patient Care Heroes, as well as the governor of the 7th District of the American Medical Women's Association and advisor to multiple other companies focusing on patient and staff safety and mental health. She has won the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine's Top Doctors Rising Star Award for the last three years. She was recently runner-up for the Sharp Index, Physician Wellbeing Leader of the Year. She also won a Silver Anthem Award. Her work has made her an invaluable contributor to local and national publications, news, and podcasts. Her focus is on advocacy and policy change, centering around safety and equity. She's the author of the book, Delivering, which is out now. The book is meant to empower women, mothers, working women, women in healthcare, and to inspire change. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for coming on and stopping by. Okay, so let me get started. Um, I read that you grew up in Wisconsin. So what was your childhood like growing up in Wisconsin? You know, Wisconsin, where I was, is a lot different back then than it is now. I mean, it was more rural Mm -hmm. and, you know, our elementary school was set basically on farmland and Mm. it was spacious and lovely and all these things. And now when I go home and visit, it's actually quite built out. So it's a different, um, really culture today than it was then, which Uh does not feel like a thousand years ago. However, it would look like it was a thousand years ago oh my gosh wow um but you know I grew up with a younger sister and a younger brother Mm -hmm. and I think that my childhood probably would have been really boring and not amazing if I didn't have my siblings they definitely Mm. made life worth living when I was younger for sure okay cool all right well so you are an obstetrician gynecologist practicing in Minnesota. Did you always want to be I a doc- did you always want to be a doctor and what attracted you to be in med- to go into medicine? So I I actually did always want to be a doctor, which is kind of interesting because we never had anyone in our family in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people who, you know, have this sense of they want to be either a nurse or a physician, they have like a mom or a dad or aunt or somebody who's worked in healthcare, so they mm-hmm. have experience with it. And For me, it was mostly books that I read, and it was interesting because we had, you know, all the free first aid books from the Red Cross on our bookshelf. Really? um, Yeah, and so I actually would read those, and so I would read about tourniquets and splints, and (laughs) that was actually my first, like, experience with anything healthcare related. Well, okay, so Um, who got those for you, or did you just, like... So those, (laughs) those were, so actually my godmother worked um for the red cross not in healthcare, but to get supplies to different countries that were needed and so we got these you know things that came along with like basic life support classes and things like that so it was 
So it was a it was an interesting way of gathering information for sure. Yeah, and it wasn't your typical bookshelf <laughs> material no. for sure. <laughs> no, I mean it was like the Red Cross books, and then it was like my dad's history books and uh, well, World okay. War II books. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, yeah okay, uh, that I can I, that I can understand. Okay, I mean a lot of people will have those books, but when you said like you know Red Cross books, and I'm like. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah. not a, a usual thing to see in in a, a lot, I guess, in a bookshelf. But I mean, that yeah. that obviously <laughs> that obviously piqued your interest. So that's how it started. Yeah, it did, and I uh, really wanted to be able to help kids. Right, that was my ah, first focus, and so okay. I initially went through training thinking that I was going to be a pediatrician. I took an internship with a pediatric cardiologist and we wrote grants to get AEDs in public schools in Wisconsin with the healthier partnership, healthier Wisconsin partnership, mm-hmm. you know, and this is, this is when that grant program first came out. And so uh, we really tried to create safer classrooms for kids to mm-hmm. make sure that they had the healthcare technology that they needed if they had a sudden cardiac arrest. So mm-hmm. that was my first kind of introduction to those things. And, I really thought I would be a pediatrician until I started doing deliveries. And then I realized I actually love doing ultrasound, looking at the cardiac, you know, anatomy and changes that I did with the pediatric cardiologist. I actually realized that I was really more destined to be an OBGYN because we do have, you know, the ability to read ultrasounds and those Mm -hmm. things as an OBGYN. So the things that I liked about pediatrics, Mm -hmm. I was able to incorporate into my career as an OBGYN. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so Kelly, you wrote a book called Delivering. So why that title? You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of multifold, right? I mean, delivering, obviously my favorite part of being an OBGYN mm-hmm. is delivering, right? So mm-hmm. I love getting called. I love going for these deliveries. I love being able to do infertility care for someone and then help them get pregnant and then assist them with the delivery. Those are all just amazing things. Mm-hmm. And so obviously there's the literal delivering, mm-hmm. but really through the course of my life, it's mm-hmm. been transformation and delivering uh... me to the person that I would like to become, right? And I think we're all in a constant growth state, right? We're all trying to learn and grow. And, you know, if we have our failures, it's, what Mm. what do they say? It's not a failure if we learn from it. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think all of us need to be in this transition so that we can eventually get to the person that we're meant to be. be. I love that. Okay. So, all right. So let's get into the book. Okay. So in your book, I, I read that you were made to go to a religious education camp. Was that because, <laughs> uh, I mean, was that something because your family was religious? I mean, I found it interesting that you were that baptized. That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I found it interesting that you're, you were baptized Methodist, but your grandfather yeah. was a Lutheran minister. So yeah. I, that's yeah. kind of like not the same thing, I would think. I don't no, know. <laughs> okay. It's really not. Yeah. So it, I, I had quite an interesting kind of collection of religions when I was yeah. younger. Yeah. And um, I also read you were you went your mom took you to Catholic church yeah. to see about converting <laughs> to Catholicism, and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, she went from okay Methodist yeah. to Lutheran to Catholicism. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, so I figured, um, let me ask you about that first. <laughs> yeah, so I'm actually the only 
grandchild on my father's side that was not baptized by my grandfather, who I was very close to. Uh, um, okay. And he had had a heart attack. He had history of heart disease. Mm. And so he was not working at that particular moment. And so for whatever reason, because of the, you know, the marital struggles that mm. my parents had, mm-hmm. um, my mother was able to baptize me Methodist while he was still recovering. And then from there, (laughs) Uh um, we were Lutheran for some time. And then in about fifth grade, my mother decided while my father was away working that Uh we were going to convert to Catholicism. And it was interesting (laughs) because she actually was not technically Um, you know, Mm. what do they call it, confirmed in the Catholic religion, right? Mm -hmm. Even though she really kind of clung on to that Mm -hmm. uh, faith, like like she had been Catholic her whole life, which was not the case. And so Mm -hmm. as young children, we just kind of go along with whatever our parents want us to do. And Uh so we were um, converted to Catholicism. We had almost like a rebaptism ceremony. And wow. um, because I was past a certain age, I had to do all my sacraments, you know, the first communion, all these things mm-hmm. that Catholic kids do, you know, in first mm-hmm. grade and so on and so forth. I basically had to do like an emergency catch up. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember I had to do these one-on-one like lessons with um, advisors and mentors to get me caught up to that place wow. where I should be at. Huh. I mean, so how did that affect you as an adult? I mean, being, I guess, introduced to all of these religions, did you decide eventually, okay, I'm going to be that in that religion? Or was it, you know, um, or did you decide that you didn't want to be in any religion? Yeah, you know, I would say that I'm spiritual. Okay. Um, I'm not, I don't, you know, I think certainly with being an OBGYN, and being passionate about safety and caring about not the politics of safety, but the actual safety, I think it's really turned me off of a lot of religion. And Mm -hmm. especially now, obviously, we all know what's going on in the news and with legislation and everything else. And I think being a Christian and having faith means that you actually love people and accept them Mm -hmm. and are not judgmental and all of these things. And I think at this current moment, I don't see a religion that is representing my faith values. Okay. And so I, I'm, I'm no longer um, subscribing to mm. uh, the Catholic faith. Okay, I get it. All right. Well, thank you for that. Um, wow. Okay. So you are the president and co-founder of Patient Care Heroes. What is Patient Care Heroes about? Actually, you know what? Before we go to that, before we go to that, um, you you were when you were doing your residency um, in your book, you were described by an OBGYN residency director as a lampshade. Yeah. I mean, I, I was like, I read that. I'm like, what? Okay, what is yeah. that? What does that term so, mean? And what is that about? Yeah. So I was. Actually, technically, when I was still a med student trying to sort out what I was going to go into. Ah, and so I was rotating okay. with my OBGYN clerkship. Uh-huh. And so that's, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, depending upon what medical school you're in. Mm-hmm. And so I was rotating. And I think 
and, and you know this, but the hierarchy of medicine is very impactful on, especially med students who are trying to not ruffle feathers mm-hmm. and they're trying to just obey the rules, mm-hmm. do all the things, right? And I think, honestly, as a med student, you're a little, I don't want to say starstruck, but you're, it's overwhelming, mm-hmm. right? And you're, you're looking at these attendings thinking, oh my gosh, look at how they just totally did this cesarean hysterectomy mm-hmm. and it was amazing and they're skilled and all this stuff. And you're kind of like the idiot standing there watching. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I have always been smart ish. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mm-hmm. think everyone that goes into medical school is smart. ish. Mm-hmm. We all have our own strengths and we got weaknesses, right. obviously, mm-hmm. um, and things that we're better at, but I think there's a real fear that you have that you're going to say the wrong thing, do the Mm. wrong thing, step on someone's toes. Uh And because of this really significant hierarchy, you know, I saw people get screamed at for, you know, using the wrong pen or whatever. And I, I, there's this intrinsic fear that you're going to mess up and be on the list where you can't get a good residency program or whatever. And Mm -hmm. you're definitely beholden to the people that train you because Mm -hmm. they can make or break your career. Right. And so I, you know, read all my books, I got all my good grades, I did all my things. And the problem that I had is I didn't find my voice, right? I didn't know where my place was. I didn't know where I belonged. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that was something that was really a struggle for me for a long time. And I Mm -hmm. think when you grow up in a household that you're not allowed to, you know, talk or share emotions and, Mm -hmm. you know, I definitely have the, you know, I'll give you something to cry about dad. Right. And Mm -hmm. so when you grow up in that situation, Mm -hmm. um, you don't find your voice and you kind of get your external validation from, achievement Mm -hmm. and academics and things like that. And this particular residency director met with me after the clerkship and he, he said, you're so smart Mm -hmm. and I see you teaching other med students Mm -hmm. and you know, it's kind of like, you're like a lampshade. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I looked at him and this is, this is a man who was very sweet and very mm-hmm. kind and very smart and great with patience. And mm-hmm. I respected him a lot. So I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? Right. Um, and he's like, well, you know, like at a party, like a fun party, and there's just like the lamp in the back of the room, right? And it's it's not contributing anything to the party, and it's just there, and it's just hanging out, mm. and it's huh. not adding anything. And you know, he he kind of was you know going on and on and on, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm a lampshade. Like, <laughs> like I'm not at the party. I'm just hanging out in the back of the room. So that was kind of this moment where I was like, okay. But what's so challenging about that feedback uh-huh. is many people want you to be a lampshade in medicine, right? right? And I think Mm -hmm. it's interesting to look at residency versus practice and how these things evolve. Because if you work in a system, if you work in a practice, most of the time, the leadership still wants you to be a lampshade, Mm -hmm. right? They don't want you to bring problems forward. They don't want to talk about, you know, potential near misses with patient safety issues, because that's that's showing that they're potentially not doing the right thing, which I always feel like that's an opportunity to learn. Mm-hmm. However, right. if you talk to women around this country, mm. uh, I mean, people 
are fired every day for trying to fix things in health systems. And I think, you know, it was, it was lovely feedback from him Mm -hmm. because in his world, he wanted me to be an active member, Right. but it's just such an interesting, you know, contrast with a lot of these other situations where they really want you to be a lampshade. So it's, it's just an interesting dynamic that we've developed in healthcare. And that's why, people are leaving in droves as well, right? Yeah. I mean, only 13% yeah. of healthcare system CEOs are female. Mm-hmm. We're not up for the leadership positions. Right. Even in women's health, we aren't the chairs and the leaders. And so right. until we can make real changes, until maybe we almost have like term limits on mm-hmm. leadership, mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to grow in terms of the gender equity or racial equity that we really need for representation to push us forward. Right. Well, okay, so let me ask you, I mean, the portrayals of med students in, in, you know, TV shows and and from what I've seen, because I'm not, I'm not a doctor, I'm not in, in in the medical field. Is that accurate? Or is that just more, it's, it's true, but it's also embellished? Or is there some truth in that? You know, like yeah, the, uh, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm always curious because I'm like, okay, well, it, no, that's all like acting, right? Or is it yeah, part of the truth? You know, I think, you know, there's a grain of truth in everything, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the human experience is the human experience. I mean, I would like to say we're like Grey's Anatomy and all of us are super attractive mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm glamorous and I certainly look like a model at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. when I'm called to a delivery but that's <laughs> definitely not yep yep okay. Okay. I mean I look like a hot mess like you should at 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. um because that's life that's real life right. um but I think a lot of it came from the the kernel of truth and mm-hmm. yes there's embellishments and things like that of course and mm-hmm. some of the storylines are are quite dramatic for that reason however I've had things happen in my own career that probably could have been shown on one of those tv shows so I think you know especially during COVID we probably Mm. Mm -hmm. um were more dramatic than we wanted to be in terms of the seriousness of patient care issues so uh, I think there's definitely a kernel of truth, just wow. less glamorous. Okay, well, I, I, I get that. I mean, I, I actually, back in high school um, and college, I worked for my aunt who was an Obkin, and I remember like her having to leave at 2 a.m., 4 a.m. to deliver babies, and I'd be like, okay, when does she have time to sleep, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. or have a life? I mean, she had children. I mean, my cousins were around. They were They were little, but I was just like, what, how, you know, and, and, but she was one of the most giving and the most patient and, and like, you know, she really knew how to connect with patients. And that's what I love about her. Mm-hmm. And she's still around and she's finally retired maybe 20 years ago, <laughs> maybe more mm-hmm. than that, but you know, but she was one of the most hardworking women physicians I've ever met. And so when I, when I read your book and I, and I read all the things you went through and I'm like, these women, I, it's like, you know, there's not enough that they go through. So you go through so much and you're not really acknowledged or or mm-hmm. even, you know, like, I guess, lauded for what you contribute to society. Yeah. And and I find that really 
crazy, you know. It's like I mean, you're giving, you're you're helping give life, you know. To to uh, you get you're helping to, um, to provide service to women who are about to give life, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like it's incredible. So I would just like you know that's why I needed to like ask you about that question because I'm like, well, all right, you know, she she definitely has put in her dues and she's gone through all of these things, and. While you were in it, was there at any point where you thought, I don't know if I can do this? <laughs> Maybe this is not for me, you know? You know, I don't think I ever thought this is not for me, but there were definitely times when I wondered if I would get through it. Mm. And, and, you know, honestly, that was more med school because okay. I was just a little perfectionistic. I had never, I mean and a minus was kind of like a traumatic thing for me because Mm. that's just kind of how my brain is. Uh And so I thought, okay, this is my life. This is my career. I need to be getting, you know, X grades and going here and getting, you know, all these things. Mm -hmm. And so I think I needed to learn how to let go of my need to have the external validation Mm -hmm. through academics because now I was swimming with, you know, people who were all great, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, and unfortunately in medicine, we're all competitive, mm-hmm. right? We're all these type A driven, <laughs> uh-huh. competitive, yep. uh, perfectionistic people, which is what you want at 2 a.m. when you're having bleeding, mm-hmm. right? However, um, we're all really critical of ourselves mm-hmm. and, um, well, I shouldn't say all, but most of the people that I know are very critical of themselves and that's how we grow and change and all those things. But I definitely needed to reshape how I viewed myself mm-hmm. to allow myself to continue on and not be caught up in the little things. Okay. Well, so where do you get your drive though? Where was that? Where did that come from? The drive to you know? keep going, to be, <laughs> uh, to be an, uh, type A and to be perfectionist. Was that always in you? You know, it was. Mm, okay. I mean, that's fine. That's great. Um, you know, it, 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 and here's like the reality of it, right? When you grow up and you don't have safety nets mm-hmm. and you're looking at your younger sister and brother and you're thinking, if I fail, mm. like, um, <laughs> who's going to support them if they need Got a parachute, it. right? And uh-huh. I thought, I'm on my own financially and everything else and I'm not going to be able to prosper or you know do the things that I want to do with my life unless mm-hmm. I can push through this and I think that that really propelled me to keep my head down mm. and focus because I, I knew that I was really my own safety net got it okay okay so you are the president and co-founder of patient care heroes what is patient care heroes about and what prompted you to create it yeah so this was definitely a passion project I had over the COVID time which now is like a hundred years long as everyone knows (laughs) Um, and when I was in practice starting out um, we had a lot of you know you're like okay I'm gonna fix the things that I couldn't fix as a resident right Mm -hmm. you kind of have this little spark in you to go you know how do we fix gender equity how do we Mm. fix racial equity how do we make sure people are represented in leadership how do we make sure that people aren't leaving medicine because of the challenges they face with discrimination Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. and so 
talking with people around the country, really racism and sexism is a huge reason why people leave. Mm -hmm. And what's really fascinating is, uh, as you know, the statistics are pretty staggering for women leaving healthcare. Um, Somewhere around 40% of women will leave healthcare or go part-time before they're six years out of residency. Mm -hmm. And so we've made a huge financial commitment. Mm -hmm. We've gone through all this training and we are willingly saying you know what, this isn't for me, even yeah. though truly these are some of the most talented physicians that I've met mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, they just can't take, you know, the digs and the harassment with no recourse and yeah. no way of climbing the, you know, all these things that we talk about with right. women in medicine, right. they're done with it and they don't see the value in continuing. Mm. And so if you look at that as the baseline there was always the burnout. There was mm-hmm. always the depression and anxiety. And unfortunately, physician and nurse suicide is mm. rampant and oh the rates are climbing. Wow. And women in medicine are more likely to die by suicide. Uh. And so dealing with that issue and trying to create a safe reporting structure for people was really kind of on the forefront of my mind. Because mm-hmm. again, when you talk to med students and residents, and they go to the AAMC and the ACGME and they try to get some sort of support, Mm -hmm. you're pretty much out of luck and often you're retaliated against. Really? And so, yes, absolutely. And so I'm working with a number of other organizations to create this, this this ability for people to have an external reporting structure mm-hmm. where we don't have the internal political conflicts, mm-hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. kind of like one of those big issues that we have. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at the mental health toll that this all takes on people, yeah. um, I wanted to, to create something that was going to help. And then when COVID started and seeing just how thin everyone was spread and Mm -hmm. the trickle of people starting to leave. Um, This was an organization that I created early on in the pandemic Mm -hmm. and contacted one of my friends to do this with me. And so we focus on getting resources for people who need them that are healthcare workers. And I didn't want to leave anyone out of this. So this Mm -hmm. is an organization for anyone who has patient touch experiences. And I know when I was a CNA, a certified nursing assistant back Mm -hmm. in the day, right? Mm -hmm. There was no way I was going to spend my, you know, minimum wage money on therapy, even though some of the CNAs and the medical assistants are the ones that had to, you know, deal with bodies and bags Mm -hmm. and everything else during COVID. And so they were clearly traumatized. They need the support. Mm. And looking at that further, we do work with trying to get physician licensing applications changed because Mm -hmm. still in multiple states, Mm -hmm. you can be discriminated against if you have even sought mental health resources. And we were just able to be involved in changing the Minnesota license applications. Uh However, this is an ongoing issue that people have struggled with and tried to change for over a decade. So this is not like a new concern. And um, when I brought these things up to the CEO of a system that I used to work at, they didn't see it as something that was needed to be worked on, right? The physician suicide issue. Oh and, my gosh, um, really? Well, that's mind yeah. boggling. And it's like, well, you know, are, do you not see that what's going around? <laughs> do you not see what's happening? But I guess yeah. this is just... Everyone has their uh, own financial, mm. you know, and if they don't see it as a financial burden, I've realized that it won't be taken care of, right? Mm. And so... Mm-hmm. So then you go to the finances of it and you show, you know, physician turnover is going to 
at least cost you a million dollars. And if you look at the chaos that it creates for patients, it's mm-hmm. going to be multiple millions of dollars. And so yep. you try to show the financial burden of these things. Right. And yet I think in most places, people are very short-sighted and they're not seeing how this affects uh-huh. the staff and uh-huh. everyone else. And in, in, in the Twin Cities where I am, we've had multiple suicides, unfortunately. Wow. We had a resident die by suicide. We had uh-huh. um, an amazing young mother died by suicide a couple days before she was supposed to come back from maternity leave and she unfortunately was even bullied about maternity leave right and so that is still the culture central to healthcare, and we needed to change and so i think the only way we're going to have this change is by talking about these issues bringing them forward Mm -hmm. and then eventually creating legislation that's going to safeguard this because at the current time people can pretty much do whatever they want in terms of how they treat people in the healthcare world, which is very unfortunate. And a lot of this, as you know, is handled kind of like the military in its own little hub, right? Mm -hmm. We do, we deal with our own little um, nuances and arguments and everything else inside of our world. However, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we often are promoting people into leadership that are, you know, toxic bullying individuals. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. the problem with that is, there's no way to seek help yeah. when you are a physician working under them. Right. And wow. that's really the big challenge that we have today. Wow. Uh, that's a lot to take into. Um, that's a lot to take in. And I mean, since the pandemic has the perception of anyone in the medical industry, especially well, uh, uh, women, has that perception changed? Has it gotten worse I mean, from what you've been describing, it's gotten worse. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I really do think it's gotten worse. I think, you know, women weren't valued before. And I think Mm. it's safe to say that, again, when you have people in leadership that are enabling these behaviors, they're empowering people who have certain beliefs to move forward and be in leadership and take control of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at what's happening with the legislation, yep. right? Yep. When we don't value women in our culture, mm-hmm. in our society, mm-hmm. of course, that's going to take hold in every other facet of life in the yeah. business world, in the legal world, and in, in, in healthcare. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I was a naive young physician once who thought, everyone who goes into healthcare is just going to like care and be passionate and Mm. work through these issues and want the best for people. And you quickly realize that that's just not the case, that there's a lot of individuals Mm -hmm. who are looking out for themselves and Mm -hmm. how they can gain and maintain power, just like in politics. And there's, there's more politics in healthcare than I would have liked to think Mm -hmm. initially. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And that's really, that's scary and crazy. <laughs> uh, yes. And I mean, we obviously saw how this played out during COVID yes. and now with reproductive rights. Right. And right. the fact that we also have a, a female physician who's probably amazing, mm-hmm. who is in Indiana, who provided care for the 10-year-old who had been raped and her rapist is now arrested. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the 10-year-old had been raped and she went for abortion services in indiana Mm -hmm. her picture's all over fox news Uh, she's being retaliated against people are threatening her i mean and she's doing her job in a state where that is legal right and so i guess 
are we saying that we do want the 10 year old to continue with a rapist hmm. pregnancy to term mm-hmm. when she could have serious health consequences or even die herself, right. putting her at risk. Right. You know, so it's, it's this, like, what are we worth? Like what, what does society say we are, we are worth? And, and unfortunately I think um, it's, not a lot in some cases. And I'm hoping that this opens the eyes of some of the men who don't see these things, because Mm -hmm. I have a lot of amazing male colleagues and friends, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, I wouldn't be friends with them if they weren't just amazing people. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know how much behind the scenes things were going on. They Mm. had no idea because they don't, you know, people don't do it in front of them. Right. You know, they just don't see it. Right. Because certainly my friends, I would like to think would, you know, stand up for people in different Mm -hmm. situations Mm -hmm. and, and fix whatever they could. However, you know, if, if these, the, the good individuals don't even see the problem, then they don't even know what needs to be fixed. So I'm hoping that pulling this to the forefront will also help create more awareness because unfortunately often women are not believed as you know and yeah you know or we're being dramatic or whatever it is and so it's nice that hopefully some of this stuff will come to light oh i hope so too especially now you know with everything Mm -hmm. that's at stake for women's health and reproductive rights and everything i mean i actually was speaking to a friend um from london and she, we were out to lunch, and she was like, so we've heard about, you know, what's going on in the States with Roe v. Wade. So have there been any protests? Because we haven't heard any here. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. You know, and she said, that's interesting. Huh, that's interesting. And, you know, I mean, I, I will tell you more about it, you know, after we record you what she said. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, like it seems to be like there's parts that are not being said because mm-hmm. it's still a matter of how women are being perceived, how women are being, you know, like seen or judged. Um, because this is what this is just a woman's issue, and it's not. You mm-hmm. know, this this is a this is a people's issue, um, and it's not mm-hmm. just the women now. It's women like in years to come. So, yeah. And that's the concerning thing. I mean, I have a seven year old girl. I don't need to be worried about this when she's older. I I just, we really need to get this fixed. Yeah. I have a 23 year old. I mean, you know, this is like, this is her, this is her, um, her generation. And I, I was just like, okay, do I have to worry now that she, you know, God forbid something happens, you know, uh, what is she going to do? What am I going to do? What will I be able to do for her? So it really, like, it's opened up so many questions and so many and unanswered questions because, you know, there seems to be, like, we're in limbo, so. Yeah. Well, and apparently it's horrible if you go to a state where it's legal, they'll still try to prosecute, you know, the physician who supplied care. And I know that Mm. the Biden administration has been working diligently to try to protect yeah physicians right and i i know that they're very passionate about that and right. i know that they were working with Ontala and all of those things however yeah. this is a, a clear case of what most physicians are afraid of mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i think the fact that this 
physician, who again is probably an amazing physician, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is being retaliated against and splashed all over the news is right. very concerning because yeah. that's essentially like, you know, back in the day when they put heads on spikes, yes. right? Like they're showing yes. us yep. this is what we will do to you if yeah. you move forward and do the right thing for your patient. And that's yeah. concerning for probably almost every OBGYN who's, I guess, paying attention mm-hmm. across the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was being made an example. I was like, yeah, well, exactly. Um, okay, you know, th- I thought, I thought we were not in the 1500s. What is this about? Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. what are we doing? Oh my gosh! Well, and if there's one thing I've learned over the last five to ten years, it's you know, perception is reality. Unfortunately, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, I think you know, people who have been the target of bullying or gossip or whatever what's Mm -hmm. unfortunate is you have a really hard time coming back from that even if 99.99999 percent of that is not true and yeah it's very challenging and so I I actually reached out to this that physician today because I I would love to help support her because Mm -hmm. unfortunately I think she's just in the start of Hmm. the storm right now yeah I know it's unfortunate because She's probably, not, you know, like when you're so vilified like that, it's like, well, mm-hmm. how can you come back from that? How do you how do you actually like, you know, get to restart even if you wanted to, you know, it's, oh, I can't. It's just like so much. Well, I mean, there's yeah. enough of us that would have her back. I mean, I might that. she need to move? Like, yeah. yeah, yes, that's the hard thing. And I've been in situations where um you know, you have gossip about you, you have mm-hmm. whatever about you that's not true. Right. And uh, I think, unfortunately, a lot of us in healthcare that are women, that are high achievers, that mm-hmm. have opinions, all of these things, mm-hmm. it, it's a very convenient thing to gossip about us, right? right? And they can say that we're, you know, just, you know, angry women mm-hmm. or we're, disruptive or mm-hmm. were difficult or whatever just because we happen to voice an opinion that might be contrary to leadership right. and right. that's really really challenging because that's a whole other way of silencing people who yep. actually are just trying to do the right things for patients yep and so yep. I just I I feel for her because I feel like she's getting kind of what we get on the small scale on mm. the national scale but right. uh, individuals like that that are doing the right thing I would hope that their colleagues are standing up for her as well, because I've also seen in many cases, colleagues just stay silent. Right. Mm. So when, Mm -hmm. when you have a woman, for example, that is being harassed or bullied or targeted Mm -hmm. or minimized, you know, a lot of times people will be too afraid to support that individual because they worry about their jobs and they worry they're going to be the next target. And so I would like to think in this case, people would come forward and support her no matter the cost because that's the right thing to do right yeah I hope so too I mean yeah if not for her then for so many others that are you know that are that will be targeted if we don't stand up for it so exactly yep oh okay I mean so was there a time when you thought you needed to do something that could affect your life and others was that when you decided I needed to do this for is that when you decided you wanted to create um, patient care heroes 
Yeah, you know, I think that I was just tired of being told I was too much and my ideas didn't matter. Are you serious? Wow. um, (laughs) We, you know, basically to know your place, right? That's the messaging that we Uh are told all the time. And I tried to get safe reporting structures in my own institution for two years because of a, a patient situation that happened. A patient had reported an alleged assault. And so I tried wow. to reframe and change and, you know, and that went nowhere mm. because that didn't have value to the system. And mm-hmm. so I think after being told, you know, to just sit there and be quiet and if you share ideas or you're going to have problems. I think that's when I really decided that I needed to, to do something mm-hmm. other than in the system, because I felt so just kind of sad and burdened that I wasn't yeah. able to make any sort of changes even within our system. And so it really gave me a new sense of freedom and empowerment to have organizations that I could work with and to mm-hmm. talk with different people across the country and to try to uh, create a movement and be part of a movement to to really create changes in the healthcare world because the problem is if everyone just is minimized mm-hmm. and says nothing, which right. unfortunately people get exhausted, right? Yeah. Like look at burnout. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. more than seventy percent of OBGYNs are burned out right now, wow. and a lot of that stems from we present a concern, we present a challenge, we present something that we need help with. Mm -hmm. We might even give all the solutions. We might give you 10 solutions and basically told that none of those are valid and your concerns are not valid and no one cares. Like to have that repeatedly done to you really puts you in a negative headspace. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why people are leaving. Mm -hmm. And so I think for me personally, being able to be active in politics and be active with writing and all of these things really helped me to mm-hmm. see a path forward, which mm-hmm. was so important for me just to kind of survive the day, you know? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm going back to your book. I mean, towards the end of your book, I read this quote from you. I also realized that race and gender, like masks, are the outer layer that often exists as an unnecessary barrier. What, is, what did that mean? It's just, we are, you know, it, it, we're not seen for the people we are, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's just like this other way to categorize us and put us in mm-hmm. our place and minimize us and keep us small in some cases. Yeah. You know, I've yeah. been in situations where I was not believed because I was a woman, even though I had all kinds of evidence to the contrary, I've been in situations where, you know, it just being a woman in medicine, but being a black woman in medicine mm. is an even worse discrimination right. situation. And I've talked to many of my colleagues and friends mm. who feel so small in healthcare. Mm. And the fact that we are still being thrust into that dynamic mm-hmm. when these are highly skilled, mm-hmm. amazing, intelligent, wonderful physicians. Right. And it shows that the outcomes are actually better for women who go to women physicians. And it shows that our surgical outcomes are better. And it shows that um, black women and black babies do better with a black physician. And yet we don't have a, a lot of representation there either because of all the discrimination. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's a challenge that we need to unravel mm-hmm. and 
I think we are still really resistant to unraveling it because yeah. I think there's fear, right? Yeah. People don't want to talk about it because mm-hmm. they're worried what they're going to find. And then when they know, really, they have to change it. And yeah. so I think that that's, that's one of the huge issues that we have today is people don't want to know mm-hmm. because then they actually have to act. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, they have to change. And change is is scary and I understand that but unless something happens you know nothing's going to change <laughs> and then we're stuck exactly oh okay all right so another quote that I I love from your book was um when you said this when things are dark in our lives we have choices we can either quit run away, die, or we can fight for what's important to us. There are many times I wanted to give up. There are days when I couldn't find a path forward, felt stuck and betrayed. I chose to fight. I have chosen to fight to love people despite all the evidence that it could be challenging. I mean, that's really beautiful. Do you still feel that way given what's going on right now? I do, actually. And I think it only takes you know, one person who is caring and good to, to really kind of reignite that, that positive energy to move forward. Mm. And I think that, you know, certainly things look daunting in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. right. And certainly Mm -hmm. with reproductive rights and you've got teams across the country that are working on these issues, it still feels really challenging because we are going to have to overcome a strategic machine that has been working toward these goals for 50 plus years. Yeah. Uh, And, and yes, that does seem kind of bleak if you say it that way. However, the way I see it is how amazing is it Mm. that we have all these highly skilled, intelligent, qualified women that are coming together Mm -hmm. to try to move this forward Mm -hmm. and that are passionate and care about people and care about safety and would do whatever they need to do at their own personal risk to make sure that people are well cared for. And so if I look at it that way, that's pretty, that's pretty stinking amazing. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's really, yes, it is. I think that's really awesome. So is there someone you would credit for where you are now? Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that my kids are Mm. really why I'm at where I'm at. And I have a nine-year-old named Joseph and a daughter named Addison. She's seven. Hmm. And when I look at what I want for them and their future, that is the number one reason why I do what I do right there. That's the reason why I work. That's the reason why I, I focus on these issues because Mm -hmm. I don't want my son, whoever his partner may be, mm-hmm. I like, let's say that he's gay. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to struggle to adopt. I don't mm-hmm. want him to struggle to find a surrogate. I don't want him to struggle with IVF. Right. If my daughter has an ectopic, the last thing I want to do is worry about a, a physician being concerned about treating her. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I, if she's sexually assaulted, God forbid, I want her to be able to have whatever option she needs to have. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I know that I have privilege mm-hmm. and I know that I can afford at this stage of my life to fly her somewhere or Mm -hmm. to travel somewhere. Mm -hmm. However, every single person should have the same access that my seven-year-old is going to have. And that's, what's really concerning to me is we forget 
you know, we take care of our own, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't look at everyone as in this country as our own. And we really should, because right. every single person should have the same ability to access health care and resources. Yeah, I so agree. Okay. Ooh, um, so do you have any personal goals other than patient <laughs> <Yeah>. care heroes? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I would like to um, help improve access for birth control mm. and abortion access. And in Minnesota, mm-hmm. we have a unique opportunity for that because we do have a governor that supports reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. And so making sure that we can get access to some of you know the border cities and things with other states i think is actually kind of a a lovely thought because we can hopefully cross you know people cross into minnesota so that we can make sure that they have their iud's and birth control and things like that because even places like tennessee there's challenges with getting long-term contraception at this point Uh which is really kind of a heartbreaking and frustrating thing so yeah i'm working on that particular issue uh i would love to write another book I would love to mm. uh, work on the screenplay I was in the process of writing a screenplay with oh, wow. uh, a producer who is amazing and a friend of mine and so it'd be nice to find time to finish mm. <laughs> yeah oh that would be amazing um, okay and um, you know starting a remote clinic so that we can help people in the postpartum period Mm. in order to monitor blood pressure and things that we see associated with increased maternal mortality, which we just don't have enough access for. And, you know, so those sorts of things I would love to see. I also um, am part of a a group organization that is launching called Beyond Physician to help physicians find other ways to use their skills, right? Because Mm -hmm. I think like we've talked about people feel so, pigeonholed and stuck and they don't know that they are valuable outside of clinical medicine and I think that that really contributes to burnout in a significant way mm-hmm. and if we can offer other avenues for people to be politically active to write to you know be on a board somewhere all mm-hmm. those things I think that that really empowers people to be more involved with their communities I love that okay and if anyone wanted to know more about Patient Care Heroes, how would they go about it? They can certainly go to patientcareheroes.com or they can go to my personal website, kellystecherMD.com, mm-hmm. and always can reach out on LinkedIn. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. Okay. And so what is the future like for Kelly? You know, it's it's just a big open world of possibilities right now. Mm, I love that. So is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners? You know, I think, and this is what I told myself, right? Mm-hmm. We all have to have mm-hmm. our, own coach, our own little mini coaching sessions with yeah. ourselves. Yeah. Um, I think when when things do seem like you have no control and you seem, I, I mean, let's be honest, we can all get into a dark place where we feel like nothing we are doing is accomplishing anything, right? Mm -hmm. Like I definitely felt like that. I felt like I was hitting my head against the wall and wasn't making any progress. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to look for the little cracks of daylight, right? They're there and you just have to go toward them. And if you're not valued or appreciated in one particular spot, you need to figure out where that light's coming from. You need to, you need to, you need to use that to energize yourself and make the changes that you need to change. Okay. 
So if you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago, what would it be? Hmm. I think I probably would have started my own practice. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, because then it would be this growing thing where I could make sure that I was providing care for patients in the way that I wanted mm -hmm. to provide care. Okay. So I think if I could have looked back, you know, to residency me, mm -hmm. uh, but the issue is we are afraid as physicians to start our own practices because we're basically told it's going to fail and we're going to be bankrupt, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. That's a real challenge that we have. And so we don't like risk. We all have a ton of loans. Yeah. We all um, are already indebted to our careers. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really scary thing for people to start their, to start a private practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Hmm. I mean, keep exercising. <laughs> <laughs> Especially right now. <laughs> yeah. Give it a resin, you know, get up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Just because you're cute now doesn't mean you always will be. Just get up and exercise. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but that one, I mean, that, let's be honest, I just got yelled at by my doctor today. So let's, oh, let's, really? let's all make sure that we, that we take care of ourselves, too. Wow, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on and, and for telling us your story. And what a journey you've had. I mean, I, I'm like, I finished your book, and I'm like, good Lord. <laughs> it was like, it was like, but it was, it was so awesome to see that, you know, like all that hard work and all of your um, persistence and resilience, you know, really came through and, and, and as, as, you know, evidenced by what the, the work that you're doing and patient care heroes and, you know, the, the work that you continue to do and in advocating for women and, and, you know, um, especially women in the medical field. Um, thank you so much for, for like telling us your story and, you know, for being such a, a huge, um, advocate for women because that's so important especially nowadays so thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it oh my gosh yeah i, I really appreciate it and and please let me know if that screenplay goes through <laughs> i want to know more yeah. about that for sure and the other book if you are planning on doing another good. book yeah we'll, we'll be on it yeah awesome okay that sounds great okay well have a good day and i will talk to you soon thanks you okay. too okay That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Kelly Stecker on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman.